Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Mrs. McNamara. We are back. Uh, this is Pat Harridan from Gallagher Benefits. Uh, Mike is off. Today my guest is Jim Bedreau, who's the town administrator in Situate. We've been talking about town budgets. Uh, and before we continue our fascinating discussion, I have um, several announcements to read. Um, first announcement is for next Saturday's McNamara on Money show. Mike will be joined by David Turtelot of Homestead Mortgage to answer questions about a reverse mortgage. So next Saturday, March 23rd at 8, Mike will be joined by Dave Turtelot. Topic is reverse mortgages. Also, for your planning, save the date. McNamara Financial Service will be running a Social Security seminar. It will be on Tuesday, April 30th at 6.30 p.m. at the Cask and Flagon on Plain Street in Marshfield. You can call McNamara uh, Financial on Monday morning at 781-834-2010 to register. The Social Security Seminar is good. You don't have to be receiving Social Security. It's actually for people, more for people who are planning uh, and hopefully Social Security will be there for them when they retire. So if you're close to retirement age, it is a very good topic. They have an excellent um, speaker that will help you through um, Social Security. The other thing I wanted to mention is we've been talking about um, town meeting and town government. So just as a little bit more of a 
public service for Norwell, and then I'll have Jim do situates. Um, Norwell's annual and special, we'll talk about what a special town meeting is in a minute, will be Norwell's town meeting is on May 6th, 2019 at 7.30 p.m. at the Norwell uh, Middle School, which is 328 Main Street. The annual town election will be at the Norwell Middle School on May 18th, 2019. So town meeting, May 6th, 7.30 p.m. And the annual town election will be May 18th. In order for people to register to vote, only registered voters can attend town meeting. Actually, they can attend town meeting and vote at town meeting and also to vote in the election. Um, The town clerk's office in Norwell will be open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. on Tuesday, April 16th for voter registration. You must be registered to vote by April 16th in order to participate um, in the town uh, meeting or town election. And on Friday, the 26th, uh, the town clerk's office will be open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. for voter registration for the special town meeting. If you want to participate in the special town meeting, uh, you must be registered to vote by that date. And Jim, you had mentioned earlier, what are the dates for town meeting in um, Situate? So the annual and the special town meeting is April 8th, and that is at Situate High School. I believe we start at 7 o'clock. Uh, so we'll have the special and then followed by the annual. Uh, the special town meeting deals with spending in the current fiscal year. The annual town meeting will deal with spending for the upcoming fiscal year. Uh, followed by that, we will actually have a special town meeting on May 13th. And that town meeting is going to be to just deal with the question of the new senior center. And that will be followed by the town election on May 18th. And the town election is at the high school too? Yes. We'll talk about the special town meeting for the senior center uh, in a minute because we'll talk about capital and expenses. Um, So we talk about, um, and Jim can help me here, we talk about, again, Massachusetts, uh, maybe a little archaic um, in terms of how they have to conduct meetings, um, but a special town meeting can be convened by the selectmen for a couple of purposes. You've heard one of them, I think, here for something um, the special town meeting that Jim mentioned for the senior center on the 13th is only one, there's only one article for consideration, Correct. which is the senior center, which involves uh, a debt exclusion, which we'll talk about. Um, but Jim mentioned the other one. So some people always ask, well, why do we have to have a special? Because in Norwell, we do it right before. Um, it's right before the annual. And um, Jim, if you can just expand on why we need to do it in two separate, literally two separate meetings within the same time frame or building. Right, so again, the special town meeting that we'll have on April 8th will deal with the fiscal 19 budget year, which, which is we're the in. year we're in. So that you reconcile any budgets that have to be trimmed up. You take money from over here and you put it over there to make sure your budgets are all balanced going into the, the close of the year. So the special town meeting deals with the current fiscal year, and then we go into the annual town meeting, which deals with the fiscal year starting July 1st. So any money you spend at the special is available immediately. Anything you spend for the annual is not available till after July 1st. Right. So it, it may seem a little strange, but the moderator actually has to open a meeting, close the meeting, and then open the meeting again. Right. Has to, to open and close the special, then open the annual, get to the annual, and then close that. Right. And then you may, some cities and towns um, have a, um, always have a special town meeting in the fall. 
Um, others choose not to. Uh, the other thing that uh, people sometimes don't realize is it's expensive to put on a town meeting and an election. <laughs> yeah. So you try and combine them. That's why sometimes if you have the town election for, you know, selectmen and other town officials, you try and put any sort of debt exclusions or questions. You try not to have a separate meeting just for one question because it is is a little expensive um, for that. So I want to get to that on the senior center, Jim, but let's just talk about capital. Explain to people, because people don't even know what, probably what that is, what is a capital budget and then how does sort of Citric go through and figure out once they know, once you understand what capital is, how do you go through and figure out what, what to spend? Capital is five years use, $25,000 or more. That makes it a capital item. Mm-hmm. So something like a fire truck. Like uh, a fire truck, uh, yep, building repairs, things like that. Okay. Um, so we have a five-year capital plan. The, the individual departments have to submit their capital. Uh, we keep adding to that every year. We add another year. We add another year. Uh, obviously, things that don't get funded then get pushed back to another account, another fiscal year. So it basically is a look at, we try to look at everything that needs to be done from an equipment standpoint, from a building standpoint, from a vehicle standpoint, and project what those are going to cost into the future. So it's, uh, you know, you, you try to say, okay, this building is this, this old, the roof is this old, it's going to need a roof, and, and plug in what we think there's going to be a roof. Uh, so you can try to plan, you can try to save, you can plan your debt numbers around that, that you know you have a large capital expense coming up. Uh, so it's a very good planning tool, and then we use that each individual fiscal year, uh, cal- sorry, fiscal year capital budget we use to do the fiscal year capital recommendations because obviously the, almost every year the requests are going to outstrip the amount of money we have to do capital. Mm-hmm. And what are, um, like we mentioned, you know, we always use the fire truck, but things that people wouldn't necessarily think are capital like... Um, uh, because people think of capital like a building, a truck, a, you know, a DPW truck or a police car or something like that. Um, what about things like um, like some repairs to buildings or capital, yep. right? Like a boiler replacement, something that's going to last a long time and be a lot of money. Um, so sometimes people don't understand that these have to be planned for because... Um, the, mo- more, than, more times than not, a capital expense requires some sort of borrowing. The bigger ones. Bigger ones, right. Yeah. Not if you're going to write trucks and police cars, right. usually not. So while you try to save, so we actually have a capital stabilization fund in situate. So we'll know that we're going to have to buy a, a pumper truck. And we're using the fire department trucks because they're the most expensive trucks we buy, obviously. Uh, so we'll put stop putting money into the capital stabilization for that purchase in upcoming years. And then take it out and buy it so we're not hit with the whole thing. I mean, a, a pumper truck is... Probably in the five to six hundred thousand dollar range. A ladder truck's between three quarters of a million and a million, depending on what you're buying. Mm-hmm. Uh, an ambulance is getting up around three hundred, three fifty. So they're they're pretty expensive. So we try to plan and save for those. But yeah, uh, boilers, roofs, windows, uh, handicap accessibility can be very expensive. Um, your water mains, your water, water treatment plant, mm-hmm. your storage. Those are all capital items that go through the capital project uh, and go through the capital fund and the capital planning committee. And also, um, uh, Citrus is a little unique in that it offers a, uh, it operates a, a transfer station. Yes. So that's capital. That's capital also. So and, that, and those, we didn't talk about those. <laughs> and, 
but the transfer station, the water fund, the sewer fund, those are what we call enterprise accounts. So that does not come out of the regular tax base. Those are paid for by the user fees. So when you pay a water bill, that money goes into a separate account. It can only be used to fund the water department. When you pay your sewer bill, it can only be used in the same with the transfer station. So those have their own individual accounts. And you got to make sure on those that whatever you're charging for fees is sufficient to cover the cost of operating those. Right. And th- But they can still borrow those Yes. In, they can borrow, just they have to raise enough money to pay the... To pay the cost pay of the borrow. debt. Right, yep. Right. And um, so you mentioned... Um, so I'm just looking down the list, and uh, just this one here is uh, like 12 million bucks or something. It's over. <laughs> uh, how does... Uh, so what, what are the requirements for... Because we talked about revenues. How can a city or town borrow, and what sort of other rules of engagement? Like, how does... How does the borrowing work? Because that's how most people, you know, if we need to buy a car, we go out and take a loan. We need to remodel our house. We'll take an equity loan. How do cities and towns borrow? What's the process? It goes on the time you warrant. Mm-hmm. You tell people you're going to borrow for that or you're, you're recommending that we borrow for that. And then it's a two-thirds vote of town meeting to authorize the board of selectmen to go out and borrow the money. And if we get that, then the treasurer collector and the finance department just like if you're going to buy a car, puts together all your all the town's financial data and sends it off. Uh, to the financial people and they come back and say, okay, you can borrow that money at this interest rate. Right now, interest rates are very low, which is good. Right. And then, so assuming that that happens in the normal operating budget, then um, the, the the budget would have to include the debt service. The debt amount. service for that for the 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever you issue that debt for, yeah. Right. So if you have something large, um, like, like the senior center, I can talk about that in a minute, um, something large, what has to happen? Um, or what, what's the process for that where um, either are there criteria for when you have to get uh, and explain what an override is to the two types. Um, when you have to go to the voters separately for something, what, what is that process? Right. So we, you know, we toss on the turn override. Now what an override is, is the voters of the town will vote to add additional taxes over and above what they normally pay to pay the debt service for a particular project. That's called a, a debt exclusion override. Um, Situate's done several in the past couple of years. We did a police and fire station, we did a middle school, we've done the library. Uh, and that's, you put the plan before the people and they vote yes or no whether they want to pay additional taxes for that particular project. And the exclusion piece, just to interrupt you for a second, Jim, is the exclusion is, in other words, you've already set the tax um, revenues at the 2.5% growth. This is, in addition to that, you need more money to pay for this this particular project. project. Right, so that gets okay. tacked on top, it goes away over time, and eventually gets paid off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not a permanent addition to your taxes, but it is an addition to your taxes for whatever period you issue the, the debt for. And the way, uh, so if someone wants to, let's stick with the debt exclusion one. So if someone wants to do a debt exclusion override, um, obviously it's, you know, it goes it goes through the same process, selectman advisory, and then what happens at town meeting, and then is there another step that has to happen after? So there's two steps to a debt exclusion or a regular uh, override. Uh, has to be voted by town meeting. A debt exclusion, because you're borrowing money, borrowing takes a two-thirds vote at town meeting. So there'll be a vote at town meeting, two-thirds of the people must vote to borrow the money and authorize the project, authorize the spending, and then it goes on the ballot where the voters go to the ballot box and they vote whether or not to fund that project through the additional taxes. And that's just a majority. That's a majority vote, that's right. right. So it, what happens if you schedule the election and it doesn't pass, because you have to schedule the election prior to town meeting, what happens if it fails the town meeting? 
Well, actually, you, yeah, you schedule. Yeah. You can schedule them either way. You can right. have the the election first, first. and the town meeting. You can do it either way. Uh, but we have the town meeting vote for the senior center will be on the thirteenth. The yeah. election will be the eighteenth. Uh, obviously, those ballots are already printed. People have already <laughs> been doing absentee ballots. Um, it has to pass at both right. in order to pass. So if it passes at town meeting and fails at the ballot, then the project fails. If it fails at town meeting and passes at the ballot. Fails. It fails, but regardless of what happens at town meeting, it will still be on the ballot on, right, on the following election. Saturday. Yeah. Um, so talk a little bit more about Jim, the senior center, because that seems like a um, uh, a project, and there's a special town meeting for that for a reason. So just what it is and what the project is and what people are trying to do. So the original project, uh, the, the town has built a new middle school, the Gates Middle School. It's down on uh, 3A next to the high school, mm-hmm. and they abandoned the what we call the old Gates School up on... First Parish, mm-hmm. uh, and that building is now sitting empty. So the original proposal was we would uh, tear down the old Gates School, leaving the gymnasium. We would put the Council on Aging at that spot, right next to the gym. We would renovate the gym, uh, and we would have the Council on Aging there. The gym would be next door, so the seniors could we could program that for the seniors. The library is across the street. There's <coughs> Uh, one currently there's one senior housing there. We're going to build another one there. Uh, we'd have a nice town green. Uh, the Cudworth uh, house, which is a historic house, is there. Mm-hmm. We'd tie that all in. Uh, but as we got into that project, uh, the cost got up around 19 million dollars. Um, it was significantly more expensive to tear down the old building than we thought, and the renovations to the gym because we were talking about taking out the old locker rooms, which is all reinforced concrete steel, uh, got very expensive. Uh, so after a couple meetings, the board um, decided that we would take the senior center, we would put it on the property, but not tear down the old building. Uh, so we would move it on the property of the old gates, leave the old gates for now. And that was really a, a big change, kind of late in the process for the April town meeting. So the board thought it was better if we set a special town meeting a little further out so that people could get the information that they need in order to make, uh, you know, um, a vote at town meeting with all the information that they have to have. So an informed vote at town meeting, they felt they needed a little more time. They didn't want to have to cut short things at town meeting because this debate went too long. So they they just thought, we'll put it off. We'll have a special town meeting all by itself. This will be the only topic. People can spend as much time as they want. And then the town can make an informed decision on it, both at town meeting and on the ballot. And obviously, prior to that, there'll be other meetings, um, like informational meetings that people can right. go to. So there'll be a capital budget meeting, because mm-hmm. it will have to go to capital budget. And the advisory board, they're going to actually have a joint meeting, uh, so that we don't have to do it two or three times. So they'll have a meeting with the architect, with the council on aging, with all the proponents to talk about what it is, what it's going to cost, where it's going to be, what it's going to look like. Uh, and you know, I encourage people to go to those meetings. There's a lot of information at those meetings. Uh, at the, after the, the committees are done, then the audience gets to ask questions, gets to, to try to get some more information. Uh, then we'll go back to the Board of Selectmen, and then we'll go to town meeting. And there will be, I believe there's scheduled three informational meetings uh, for people to go to to get information. Uh, I don't have those with me, sorry, Pat, but the, they right. will be on the town website and the Council on Aging will be putting out information as to when those meetings are going to be. Right, and the, those, those meetings are a little less structured than the town meetings, so you can right. get questions, you can go up and look at the models and yep. look at plans and, and all that. 
Um, so that, that's uh, and so and then the other type. So people have uh, again the newer people who um, either new to the area or even younger people who don't didn't experience Proposition Two and a Half. The reason that Two and a Half it was to sort of limit city gov- uh, city and town government spending to no more than two and a half. And this was the out for the way, not the way around it, but the legal way to spend more than two and a half percent of your prior year levy. And this is a specific project, but some cities and towns have have to have have had to do uh, operational overrides. So what what is that, and what's the process similar? So the process is similar. Uh, an operational override is a permanent addition to your taxes. So using your ten million from earlier, if yep. your tax base is ten million. Um, and then you add two and a half to that, and you wanted to have an operational override of a million dollars, then your taxes would go from 10 to 11, and that becomes your base going forward. Uh, you know, cities and towns will do that when they get to the point that their current revenue stream, they don't think can continue to provide the services necessary for the residents, or that the residents want, demand, and need. Right. So they would ask the residents, hey, look, we need additional money. This is what it's going to be for. This is what it's going to cost you. And then the residents vote for it at town meeting and again at the ballot box. And they determine whether or not um, they want to do it. Right. And the difference is, as you mentioned, even though the, the financing for either a senior center or something like a ladder truck, it could be you know a, a longer term. It's going to end at some point. There'll Correct. be your capital planning committee will look at when debt is coming off the books. And that allows them to maybe take on new debt. The override, the um, operating override, is a you're always going to be starting at that higher number. Right. So you're always yeah. so people have to make and some cities and towns have done them. It's it's been done. Uh, Situate's done them. Noel's done them. Um, Cohasset's done them. I, I don't know if Hingham, Marshfield's done them. I mean, generally, I think most cities and towns have done at least one mm-hmm. since 1981. Um, cities generally do them less or not at all. Right. Uh, but. Um, you know, debt exclusions are common. Right. Uh, because you can't just fund a, a project like this in one Yeah, you can't. Year. I mean, a town can't fund a $40 million school on a $50, 60000000 million budget. You just can't mm-hmm. do it. So, um, but the, the general overrides are less common. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also have a, uh, a much less uh, success level than a debt exclusion. Right, because that would still have to go through the same process, town meeting and election. Right, and there's, actually the state has a website. You can look at all the two-and-a-half overrides, <laughs> the debt exclusions, the general, how many there were, what passed, what didn't pass. Uh, there's a lot of information there on the state, on the Department of Revenue website. And one of the things that's unique, uh, at least Citroën has this, uh, Noel does not, but other, other coastal communities have this, is uh, obviously, Jim, Citroën makes the news a lot in the winter. <laughs> Jim brings out his uh, slicker, yellow slicker jacket, yeah. the yellow jacket comes on, and he's uh, down at the beach uh, talking to um, one of the news crews. But what? Um, so obviously this year has been a little bit better than than prior years. But obviously there's been some um, talk about you know repairing seawalls or a floodplain and and down in the uh, the beach areas. What what is the status of that, and how does that process work? I mean, it goes to the same capital process because uh, these projects are expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do go through FEMA or the state to try to get grants. So there's really two components to that. One is fixing storm damage, and the other is trying to prevent um, mm-hmm. storm damage. So uh, on a storm that the we a federal disaster declaration, we are eligible for 75% reimbursement. Uh, 25, yeah, 75%, we pay 25%. Uh, right now, the town has about $16 million in outstanding FEMA claims from the last three disasters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have authorized our $4 million portion of that. Mm-hmm. 
So what happens is we do a lot of the engineering, we do a lot of the planning, we do all the permitting, and then we usually- We have to wait for them. We have to wait for the money to come back. Uh, The town's resiliency plan, which was finished in 2016, has about $110 million worth of projects. That's 2016 Mm -hmm. funds. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are seawalls, they are revetments, they are beach nourishments, um, but they're all fairly expensive. And just for people who, who aren't familiar with this, uh, when you do a seawall project, usually you're going down further uh, and up higher mm-hmm. from what the original seawall is. And we estimate the last seawall project we did, depending on which one it was, cost between seven and ten thousand dollars a foot to build a seawall. Just twelve, the twelve-inch section the 12 all inch the way section down of, of seawall. So mm-hmm. it's very expensive. It's very time-consuming. Um, it's complicated because there are houses built right up against those seawalls in a lot of places. So it, it's difficult for a community, even getting uh, a 75% grant from the state or federal government to help with these projects, you're still going to come up with a 25%. Right. Uh, and that gets expensive. So we are trying to prioritize those projects. And also, uh, there are projects where the, you know the residents like, we, we don't want that. Mm-hmm. So we're trying. To, if the residents don't want it, we just say, okay, we're going to move on. We'll go to the next project. We can't spend a lot of time on this. But um, we have uh, some seawall projects that are in planning stages now. We have a uh, beach nourishment project that's in the planning stage now. And um, we'll have to see if we can get some money. Um, the governor has come up with a resiliency plan uh, that he announced at the um, Mass Municipal Association meeting in January. It would be in addition to the D's excise tax, hmm. which we use to fund the community preservation right now. They would uh, add to that. That would go into a dedicated fund to help cities and towns all across the state on resiliency efforts. Um, they estimate when fully implemented, it'd be around $130, $140 million a year. Uh, no really information on how there's going to be grants, there's going to be loans, there's going to be, um, but you know, obviously for situate, any, any little bit helps. Uh, the Speaker of the House then came out with his own plan for a billion-dollar resiliency plan. Um, as you probably know, I don't know if the Speaker, uh, Bob DeLeo, represents Winthrop, right? Uh, which if the news crews aren't situate, they're generally in Winthrop. Winthrop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's really familiar with the challenges and things that we have uh, as a coastal community. But it wouldn't just be coastal. Any town that has resiliency issues, drainage, flooding, would be eligible. So uh, I'm pretty pleased that there's been an acknowledgement from two out of the three. Uh, we'll see what the Senate comes up with, but we're hopeful that they will come out with something that will uh, really ease some of the burden on cities and towns to have to do all these projects by themselves. Right, and those are, um, so obviously, as Jim mentioned, those are state initiatives, so sometimes, um, you know, uh, the all the legislatures, Senate and representatives have to vote, and, you know, obviously the people in uh, Western Mass you know, they have to define their own resiliency, but obviously the coastal communities are the ones most hit. And the only way to influence that is talk to your representative. Who is the, um, uh, for people that don't know or are new here, who's the representative for uh, Situate, Jim? Uh, Pat Kearney does most of Situate. Most of it's split? Joan Moschino has, I think, Precinct 1. I'm not sure what she has besides Precinct 1, but she does the, the north end of Situate. Okay. And then Patrick O'Connor is our state senator. Right, so those are the people that would be voting on whatever plan the governor or the speaker um, put up. And that's a good point you mentioned, Jim. Sometimes, you know, it, it, 
sometimes, you know, the best laid plans, you know, you want to protect um, the residents with either a seawall or something, and the residents um, don't want it. So, um, so before the break, we will take a call from, Jim's going to love this, Annie in Hummerock. Annie, good morning. Good morning. I'm from Hummerock, the forgotten village of situation, <laughs> and just wondered why we don't get anything over here. And our taxes are the same that everybody else who lives in situate. Our sidewalks, I'm 65 years old, are the same sidewalks that were here when I was a little girl. There's not even a playground, a slide. We get one swoop of the, the uh, DPW coming through our streets, which they don't grade anymore. And our tax dollars are equivalent and we're paying for all the things that go on in situate. Why I know there's elderly over here and we they don't show up at town meeting, but we are denied everything over here. It's disgraceful. Can you answer me why? Well, I I probably wouldn't agree with your characterization, Eddie. I mean we still provide fire protection, police protection. Oh the fire is great. The fire we have uh, the fire station. We are, we are rebuilding that fire station. That's gonna be a, right. a brand new building, so we hope that's right. nice. In terms of the roads and the sidewalks, what we got planned now for Hummerock is a brand new water main that's gonna be starting to come in down there. That'll go right down the main street in Hummerock and when that comes in the sidewalks and the, the street will all get redone, but um, we lose oh, that's good to know. a tremendous but amount of water. Because we get Marshfield water, which is excellent. Which is more here. expensive, too. We pay a premium for that Marshfield water. Um, it's more expensive than what we get for the situate water, and we leak quite a bit in Hummerock. Uh, the problem in Hummerock, as you know, living there, is it's all sand, so when the water comes out of the water pipes, it just disperses. It doesn't actually come up to the surface that we see in uh, in the regular part of town. So we have a major, it's about a $5 million project uh, to redo the water mains and down in Hummerock. And as part of that, we'll have to dig up the streets and those streets will have to be repaved. So, will, um, will you be getting our water then from Situate? No, you'll still be getting it from Marshfield. From Marshfield, But good. we won't be losing. We're losing 30, 40% of our water in, in Hummerock between what Marshfield bills us for and what goes for your meters at the house. So somewhere between the meter coming across the bridge and the meter at people's houses, there's water just leaking from the pipes. Right. Uh, so we need to replace that. So uh, we're going to be spending a lot of money in Hummerock, the new fire station, the water mains. Uh, How about a little playground for my grandkids? There's not even a slide over here. And know, then when they possible, take the one would, down at the high school, they put it up in North Situation. What like, I would suggest, and if you've been listening, and thank you for listening, we talked about the Community Preservation Act. Okay, um, I, went, I got funds, a phone call in between, so... Yeah, the, <laughs> the Community Preservation Act funds things like that. It actually funded the playground in North Situate. So uh, if people in Hummerock are looking to do a playground and we think we have a place to put it, then come talk to us and we can put together uh, an application with you for community preservation money to maybe do a small playground down there. I wish there was, because there's nothing for children here. Mm. In the winter, they get in trouble. Anyways, well, I just want to bring out the forgotten village over here that we really, <laughs> and our taxes are the same. And I know someone who got just a set, was at the assessor's office for a rebate, and, and they're comparing his house to someone in Second Cliff, which you almost you can't make comparisons because we have so little... It's the sidewalks, everything. It's, it's hard to do that, but they do the best they can. And uh, right. But I spend a lot of time in Hummerock. I uh, especially in the winter time. I'm down there anytime there's even a, a oh, threat of a storm. Oh, it's the best place in the world. So uh, and I, I get that. I don't get that much in the summertime because, as you know, the parking's tough. 
Right. So it's hard to get to the well, you beach. Can park but. At my I was going to say, Annie, let Jim yeah. park there. Uh, and yeah. He'll he'll help yeah. with Free the uh, sidewalks. As long as we get something coming this way. I got three kids, though. They're going to have to use the bathroom, Annie. That's all. That's okay? all right. That's uh, all right. But uh, yeah, so we're going to be spending some money in Hammer Rock in the upcoming years. And uh, and what about the seawalls? The seawalls are disgrace. Well, we had a project down there uh, off uh, Central Ave. Um, I know that's a, a whole different ball game. I know project. What uh, I'd there, have to right. go back and look at the seawall and the resiliency and see where that is. Um, the seawall that's on off of River Street, the main seawall, yeah. is you could kill yourself walking down there. Yeah, but anyway, well, I'll take a look. I'll take a look at that next week, Annie. I'm not familiar with every single piece of seawall. Yeah, but, park uh, at the opening and walk the wall. Go to the right and just walk down. I mean, you you could fall off. It's yeah, I've, I've, I've actually gone down there with the police. Uh, we took the ATV out there after a storm and. And roll right. the seawalls, and uh, we actually have a drone now. We fly the seawalls and, and do oh. pictures of damages and, and yeah. all that. So uh, we actually got our drone pilot licenses, and uh, we get out and fly those seawalls. So uh, give me a call at the office, Andy, if you want. I'll be happy to come down and meet with you and, and show me what you want. But um, yeah, yep. let me know. I'll be well, happy to come down nice. and see you. You seem very nice. Thank we you. just need a little action over here. It's coming. Okay. <laughs> all right. Thank. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thanks, thank, Annie. Have thank a good you, day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Same to you. See you at the parade. Same to you. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, Annie. And uh, we'll take a break, and we'll start. We'll finish up on uh, some other expenses, and we'll talk about the parade uh, after the break. Mm-hmm.